Salut. Bienvenue au podcast de Tribble Trip. Welcome to the Travel Tribe Podcast. Once in a lifetime journeys have a way of completely transforming our lives. Anyone who has been on such a transformative adventure knows that you never come back quite the same. There's a shift in the way you perceive the world and your old life. Today, we have Grant Ross, the captain of Good Vibes and Boogie, who will be sharing how his 13-month and 16,000-kilometer trip from Scotland to South Africa changed the path of his life. We chat about his inspiration for the trip, the highs and the lows, what you could learn yourself from such a long-distance cycling trip, post-adventure hangovers and finding meaning afterwards, and how his trip helped pave the way for starting a business of sharing joy at Secret Sunrise, where he has helped unite over 50,000 people around the world through music, movement, and connection. This week's episode is a beautiful blend of journey, reflection, and entrepreneurship. Please welcome Captain Boogie to the Travel Tribe. Hey, Jordan. Great South African accent, by the way. <laughs> I gave you my warning before the show that it might pop up. <laughs> How are you? I cannot complain. Yeah, all good. Thanks for having we're, me on the on the show. Wow, we're, we're excited to have you here. Where are you joining us from today? Sunny but chilly South Africa uh, on the coast in the Eastern Cape. What do you got on there? Is that a bathrobe or? I call it Big Papa. It's my sheepskin uh, Africa burn jacket. <laughs> we're excited that you're here uh, to share your story. So where would you like to start? I guess it makes sense to give context why we decided to do something so outlandish. Where did the inspiration come from? So we had just finished university. Uh, a, quite a sad story, actually. A, a good friend of myself and Sebastian, my, my partner in crime, who cycled every inch with me uh, from Scotland back to Cape Town. Uh, one of our best friends passed away in 2007. It kind of really shook us quite drastically and made us realize that at 23 years old, as much as you feel like you're invincible, you're actually not. Both of us decided that we just need to grab life by the horns and do something crazy while we're still alive, celebrate life, do something that, you know, keeps you on your toes and just goes way out of your comfort zone. And uh, we threw around a couple of ideas and landed on cycling from Scotland back home. Yeah, the inspiration was really to just live as hard as we could at 23, 24 years old. So you guys started the journey up in up in Northern Scotland? Yeah. So we worked uh, in London for six months, gathering some pounds because the South African rand doesn't quite stretch as far. Worked there for six months, got some funding for the trip, and then uh, took a train up to Scotland, up to the very northern spot in John O'Groats and put our backsides on the saddles and started cycling. And so what was the kind of the planning that went behind it, the trip? Did you guys have a certain route you guys wanted to take? Was there a certain amount of money you guys needed to budgeting for? We actually thought it would take a bit longer than it eventually did. We thought it would take about 20 months. So we budgeted mm -hmm. uh, 10 British pounds a day as a budget for, for each of us. And, and this was back in 2010. So it doesn't sound like a lot. And through Europe, it's tougher to stick to budget, but through Africa, it was it was fine. Yeah, we, we had a general idea of where we wanted to go in terms of route, 
but we're very open to just allowing whatever transpired to lead us and kind of go with the flow and leave it open to to the adventure. Were there any fears that you guys were experiencing before you guys went in or was it mostly just an adrenaline rush? Let's, let's get after it. Yeah, I mean, fear is an interesting thing. I, I, there were definitely hesitations as to whether this was a good idea or not. You know, we knew some people who had done similar adventures, but when you decide to cycle you know 16,000 kilometers naturally you're like what are what are we thinking here is this is this a logical decision and I guess that was the main fear but as soon as we had booked our flights to start the first steps of saving some money to get the trip going everything just dissipated and and we're just psyched from then on in uh just ready to get to get to the start line so yeah there was a bit of initial fear but everything from there was once you've committed there's no turning back and it's just excitement for the adventure ahead so where did you guys stay along along your journey were you guys camping out were you guys staying in hostels well we have so many stories about where we stayed we uh carried a little two-man tent uh, between the two of us obviously weight on your bicycle is a big factor you've got to pedal every single thing that you carry along the route so you want to pack as minimalistically as possible so we had a very small two-man tent myself and sebastian my uh my co-adventurer we shared <laughs> a lot of personal space together Mo we, we we camped mostly and it was obviously the most cost effective uh, way way of being especially through europe where it's a bit more expensive but we stayed everywhere from youth hostels to people who took us in to restaurants to beaches to we slept under a truck one night we slept in the desert just on the floor you know in forests wherever we find a clear safe space to rest our heads uh, every every day really was just uh you know who knows where we'll sleep tonight and i guess that's part of the part of the fun in the adventure any like bad circumstances that happened for you guys? I know we had a guy on the show who did five months of not spending any money traveling throughout Europe. And he said when he slept in the park or something, he got robbed. So he would try to stay out of the big cities. Um, anything uh, along those lines? Any scary situations? Always in hindsight, you think of the situation that you were in and think, wow, that could have gone quite wrong. One, uh, one comes to mind when we were in Egypt, just south of Cairo. Uh, we were cruising along and we looking for a place to stay and we're you know our general route was following the nile it's kind of the most obvious and most hospitable place to cycle through egypt so it's a very densely populated area so finding a quiet spot to pitch a tent is virtually impossible you know through the night we had people kind of inquisitively coming around our tent and checking things out on a consistent basis and eventually there was a group of uh, guys who were armed and they came to our area and asked us to pack up our stuff and follow them so you know we we felt pretty chilled at the time and eventually uh, what it ended up being were um, civilian police they have civilian police in egypt and they kept us in a kind of a compound for the night and felt quite dodgy at the you know <laughs> in hindsight who knows who they were but uh, we managed to negotiate our way out of it pretty swiftly and changed a couple of jokes afterwards and then just carried on there's always something but generally i think the theme of our trip was that there's a big misconception about the safety in africa and the people and the big theme of our trip was actually it's, the people are so incredibly friendly and welcoming and we felt super safe and maybe it's because we were two grubby young dudes on a bicycle who are very harmless and you know maybe that helped us along the way but 
generally we were very welcomed in every area that we went to and felt very safe and you know our biggest threat was probably the traffic cycling mm-hmm. along these busy african roads you know the people weren't necessarily there to to get at us or steal our stuff or anything were there, what, what were the countries any countries that kind of really surprised you during your trip uh, on the hospitality or the beauty of them Sudan was such a an incredible place in terms of people there and the hosp- the hospitality that they showed and, you know there's a lot of negative press about a place like Sudan and they obviously have their problems in the various areas but they're quite isolated or they were at least back then for the entire journey through the deserts to you know throughout the country people would welcome us they would cook for us they'd give us their beds and even though they had nothing they were willing to give everything so we're completely blown away by how amazing the people in Sudan were maybe because we had a preconceived idea of what it might be but nevertheless they were amazing while you guys were going outside of that little situation in Egypt were there any other close calls with maybe running out of food or anything like that if i'm thinking about going to you take going through the desert i'm like automatically thinking like running out of water or food with any other close calls like that as i said traffic was always a risk quite a close call in croatia when we were cycling through the european leg of our trip you know close call with a car that kind of shaved one of my panniers the bags on my bike and again in hindsight uh, you know to think of that it just kind of blows my mind that we're just at the mercy of all these drivers all the time but that ended up being okay and then in Mozambique in very in the very north of Mozambique previously war torn area and not a lot of infrastructure and we eventually after about 100 kilometers of sandy dirt road we got to a little village and we were looking for food and you know two young guys on bicycles get hungry and that you know that's our fuel is is food that's what keeps us going it's not uh, petrol or diesel it's food so yeah. food is high priority on our list and uh yeah we got to this little village and asked someone you know is there any way we can get some food and and they just shrugged their shoulders and carried on walking you know like no sorry and it was the most obscene absurd scenario where you know you ask someone for food and they just they don't have an option which was kind of sad and kind of stressful at the same time because we were really hungry but luckily kept a reserve tin of uh, tuna and a and a jar of peanut butter right at the bottom for just such emergencies which we didn't mix the two but we um plowed through that pretty swiftly yeah that was quite a memorable and kind of a strange scenario but the weird thing is too is you can you can't find food but you can find coca-cola on every single corner so you know good ad for coke eh Speaking of food you guys brought. So what what else did you guys bring along with you guys in your backpack? You mentioned the tent, you mentioned a little bit of food. What else did you guys bring along? We from Scotland back to London was kind of our trial initial initial section where we were going to kind of see what we could wean out and after the 600 kilometers or whatever it was from John O'Groats back to London, we basically just stripped everything and started throwing clothes and things that we really thought were vital and really if you carrying all of that with your with your legs and your backside you you willing to chuck anything so we lived very minimalistically we had the bare essentials obviously a medical kit is you know high priority I'm going through Africa you need your anti-malarials and uh you know your your general anesthetics and things like this then we had a water purifier uh, which came in handy quite a lot our tent a mattress 
one or two changes of clothes, you know, then we'd obviously carry a bit of food with us and a little gas stove, a frisbee, which doubled as a plate. <laughs> yeah, so we really lived minimalistically and, and it's kind of taught us a lot. You know, it, it, it's kind of set the tone for the rest of our lives. In essence, mm -hmm. you know, we spent 13 months living out of a little bag and uh, really not needing much and, you know, learning that in life, you, you're happy with the experiences and not with the, the material goods that you, that you carry with you and burden yourself with. So, yeah, that was a beautiful metaphor for that. After those 13 months, everything else that you add on to just a luxury. Exactly. I, we always kind of talk about how like sometimes we're in Thailand, uh, you know, some of the people might seem like they just don't have much except for a hut and some food. But, you know, they always are just so generally happy, you know, living very minim minimalistic lives, spending time with their families. So, and just so I can visualize, I'm kind of curious to see how your route looked like. You started up in Scotland, went down to London. And can you walk us through the countries that you, you went through? Yeah. So we went down from the UK into France. And then flirted with Belgium into Germany, uh, down through the Alps, which is obviously quite hilly, into Austria, uh, over some more Alpine roads into Italy. And then we skirted along the Dalmatian coast, Slovenia, Croatia, Albania, which was really interesting, uh, Montenegro, and eventually ended up in, in Athens. And the plan was to then hop on a boat or something we didn't really have a plan we just like when we get there we'll figure it out um, but there was nothing available so we hopped on a on a flight to Cairo and then we did uh, the Nile down into Sudan uh, went east into Ethiopia which is also incredibly mountainous and hilly yeah very difficult on a bike and then Kenya uh, then headed back west into Uganda then south Rwanda Burundi Tanzania, Malawi, which was incredible, along the lake, then Mozambique, which was super sandy and hot, and then eventually back into South Africa, 2,000 Ks along our coast, back to Cape Town. Wow, that's incredible. And during all these different countries that you guys visited, you guys have any issues with visas? Surprisingly not. We, we obviously needed to do a little bit of homework before leaving, and we managed to organize our visa at the capital city before the country that we needed to get into. So every time we got into the capital, we'd organize the visa for the next country. And the nice thing about cycling is you, you know, you have a little bit of time, you know, you're not necessarily gunning in 24 hours through a country. So we managed to organize all of that and our South African passport managed to get us pretty swiftly through most of the countries through Africa. And so, yeah, so it wasn't too much of an issue. And so how would you kind of compare that slow travel, as you mentioned, that you don't have to gun it like, you know, you normally would through a country of, you know, slowly going through it as opposed to, you know, quickly coming in and out. What were some of the different things that you experienced by slowly traveling through the countries? Sure. <laughs> how much time do we have? Yeah, I, I think the biggest outtake that I that we got uh, from our journey was that traveling by bicycle is just magical because in a vehicle as as beautiful and, and as convenient as it is you're kind of in a little bubble and you can see things but 
you, you've got a very small tendency to just stop randomly and take something in or listen or smell or, you know, stop in a random village, usually very focused on the destination. Whereas a bicycle, it's very much just about the journey. You're at the mercy of the elements. You're listening, you're smelling. Stopping is almost welcomed. So you'll stop in the most random spots and have the most crazy experiences, meet people, kids, animals. We cycled through a couple of game parks and had to kind of alternate our views so that you know we always had a, an eye on either side of us. So yeah, those kinds of experiences are kind of being thrown at you around every single corner and your day is so full with sights and sounds and experiences and you want to get your camera out around every corner. And, and I think that was something that I can definitely recommend to anyone is is going on a small bike bicycle trip if you're if you're able to it's a whole nother spin on 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 travel and journey and it is literally about the journey and and again i think a lot of people say that that life is about the journey it's not about the destination and i think that was yeah just a great outtake from from our trip i had a chance to uh, do a motorcycle trip through vietnam and that was also kind of a way to kind of slow down probably put like 100 kilometers in each day and you know, you had no idea where you're staying that day, small town or whatever, as opposed to, you know, traveling by plane or by train. You're always staying in like the biggest cities. So it was a really nice way to explore some of the more culture of the of the country by doing that and slow things down as well. What was like a typical day like when you guys were on your trip? Was there a certain amount of kilometers you guys want to accomplish a day or was it hitting up certain spots? Good question. Yeah, I mean, we we're very flexible. Sometimes we would set ourselves a target if we had like a... Uh, a nice kind of destination to look forward to in a couple of weeks would say, cool, let's try get there in, you know, 14 days or whatever it is, and then set ourselves kind of mini goals. But I, I guess on average, we'd probably cover between 80 to 100 kilometers per day, which sounds like a lot. Uh, what's that in miles? Probably about 60 miles a yeah. day. It, it sounds like a lot, but if, you, if that's all you're doing all day, you know, you do kind of 60 kilometers before lunch, you would stop, have a, have a snack, have a bite to eat, have a snooze under a tree, and then <laughs> carry on, do another 40 Ks. And before you know it, you've, you, you've covered a lot of distance in the day. Some days would cover nothing. You know, we'll do 15 kilometers or something ridiculous and we'll just find another epic spot and we're like, we need to stop here. This is just too good to pass. And and I think that was the great thing about not having a strict timeline or agenda. We just left it open-ended and open to anything that was thrown at us. Yeah, so it, it very much varied. Some of our biggest days we covered were through um, the Nubian desert just because it was so inhospitable that there wasn't much to stop for so we would cover kind of 200 kilometers per day uh mm. i think our biggest day was about 235 k's we'd cycle at night to to avoid the heat and then just sleep in a shady spot in the day so we just adapt to whatever was thrown at us ethiopia our mileage slowed down quite a lot just because you're doing a 16 kilometer hill in one go at 3,000 meters or something and you know your body can only take so much so I'm just curious when it comes to like finding a spot to camp out at night are there any tips you have for finding a good spot that's safe or would you just right off the road or how would you guys locate your the place that you guys would tent at good good question obviously everywhere was 
different and threw different things at us. Yeah, I think you 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 just get a feel for it after a while. Mm. Naturally, you're wanting somewhere as quiet as possible with as few people around as possible, just for you know safety's sake and just not being bugged while you're trying to sleep. Sometimes, depending on the country, we'd actually aim for little towns and stay in a little you know whatever whatever it was like. A, cottage or uh, find a bed somewhere for cheap just because a place like Ethiopia Ethiopia for instance has got 80 million people in a, a country the size of a small state so really? very difficult to find any free space to camp it, it really depended some countries it's just wide open spaces and you find little nooks and crannies and forests and beaches and whatever you might find we'd always reach about dusk time and be like cool let's keep an eye out for a camping spot and that's kind of the exciting time is like what is you know where are we going to sleep tonight where are we going to be camping it's just the most obscene thing not knowing where you're going to sleep the next night but uh yeah all part of the adventure it's kind of like a little bit scary but also kind of liberating and exciting not knowing uh you know where the where the night's going to take you i was kind of curious were there any kind of countries that really uh surprised you that you found were really underrated in terms of beauty i know you mentioned sudan the people really were really uh friendly and hospitable but were there any countries that you know that kind of really blew you away for for what they offered i think two two really standout countries in africa were uganda and malawi uganda being quite an equatorial space jungles and chimps and gorillas and banana trees everywhere and friendly people and beautiful mountains and tropical scenes wherever you go and yeah it's just a beautiful beautiful place malawi same kind of friendly culture and then obviously lake malawi stretching majority of the country incredible beaches and you know beautiful surroundings and trees and uh yeah i think those two were were definitely standouts in europe yeah i think everything had had something different to offer we we loved germany just because they had cycle paths everywhere so it was really easy to cycle they were just uh, very accommodating for cyclists i think that, we really enjoyed that croatia was beautiful just following that coast and i'm sure many people have been there when you were down in Africa any close encounters with any animals I wouldn't say any close calls as i mentioned we cycled through a couple of reserves uh just to kind of get through yeah we covered a couple of couple of those in uh Uganda and one in Mozambique we saw game saw some elephants and buffalo i think on a bicycle you're okay uh luckily we didn't see any cats or you know anything <laughs> that's super risky yeah we had a a little snake that um crawled under our tent one night just obviously for the warmth we only realized this in the morning and yeah but i think in general we we didn't have any close calls but uh yeah we we had some encounters you let's say you're you're finishing up your trip over here and get to south africa and you know you finally reach your destination i'm sure it takes a day or two to finally like fully relax and you're reflecting back on the trip or or some of the thoughts you had or reflections based on your trip it was such an interesting time <laughs> as i said when we when you're on the trip you're just living day to day you're the beautiful thing was is you just completely in the moment you're enjoying the journey and you're not really thinking about the end 
and then it finally comes and there's a big hoorah and we had a huge bunch of all of our friends and family join us for the last leg into Cape Town. We had a big uh, gathering and a, and a late night party just to celebrate being home. And then uh, the hangover wears off and you wake up the next morning and suddenly everything is kind of back to normal and you haven't really thought about the step. And I think it's an actual syndrome called, uh, let me get this right, it's post, post-expedition syndrome or something where, mm. uh, yeah, you just, you kind of feel a little bit aimless or, yeah, just a little bit empty in 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 some senses and I, I think sebastian who i cycled with can can attest to it you know you, you you leave and then two years later you arrive again and everything has kind of moved on and you kind of expect it to be the same and everyone's kind of get, getting on with their lives so yeah it was a very strange time we we kind of needed a bit of time to get back into the normal swing of life and understanding what our next steps were. And it, it took at least six months to get back into some sort of rhythm, some sort of normality. And it wasn't, it wasn't a fun experience. And I don't think there's any kind of recommendation or cure for what, you know, what we, what we experienced, but I, th- I guess it's just part of uh, the arrival after, after a life-changing journey, you, you know, you kind of have to come back to some sort of normality and uh, hit the ground again. That's so true. I, I for sure definitely can relate to this. I know some of my friends who are also living abroad can relate to the repatriation process. So like when you kind of go back to normal life, whether you were, you know, I, I was working as a dive instructor in Thailand for a little bit. I was also in Korea and going back is always such a weird you know, transition because as you mentioned, people have gone on and moved on and, you know, life's still kind of the same, but people have also moved on. So it's, it's, it, I definitely can relate to you on, on yeah, that. Exactly. You kind of ended up, you know, having this crazy journey where every day was an adventure. You had no idea where it led to do. And then you had to kind of transition back to normality. What was the next step? Did you, did you go on to uh, working in a corporation and starting your own event? Mm-hmm. We did the cycle after we graduated from university and I did a, a business science degree at University of Cape Town. So I was kind of gearing up to get into you know, the financial corporate world. And that's what all my university peers, you know, got into after after they graduated. So I think I kind of just felt like that's what I've got to do is just go to interviews and, you know, start getting into what's expected of you once you once you graduate. But obviously going through such a, an incredible journey and transformation and learning so much about myself and life and perspective. Yeah. I <laughs> I, I had uh, actually one of the most kind of profound moments in my life when I was uh, sitting in an interview foyer waiting to go in. Uh, for one of these interviews I was uh, applying for, for, one of these jobs I was applying for. And uh, I was kind of formally dressed and the collar was digging into my neck. And this is after being in shorts and a t-shirt and and uh, flip-flops for the last 13 months. And I just thought, what the hell am I doing? What are, <laughs> I don't want to be here. You know, I've, I've got, uh, you know, a, a crazy cycle tan and I want to maintain it you know so uh yeah I just knew in that moment in that in that foyer and that marble floor that this is not the path that I want to take and 
it yeah it was it was a beautiful moment of clarity for me um and and i actually went and continued the interview you know just out of respect and it actually went really well because i didn't really care anymore so i was super relaxed yeah from that moment on i knew i wanted to just not kind of do anything run of the mill i didn't want to kind of subscribe to the normal and uh yeah that led me on a path to i i started actually myself and sebastian started working on some trail running events cape town is very um it lends itself super well to being out on the mountain going on trail runs and 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 those sorts of things and it's a very outdoorsy type of city started getting into into a few events organizing gigs and i i did that for two years and um as as time passed i started uncovering what yeah what my passions were and what my truth was and i then started to find find my rhythm and and my true meaning i feel like uh, my story is very similar to yours and after doing uh, my mba i was also applying for all these corporate jobs and i just remember like i was like i really hope that they just don't call me back cuz it's going to put me in a difficult predicament <laughs> uh, uh, similar to you just sitting there with that collar going and i just knew like this is not right you know so you you were going on to start your own thing were there any doubts in the beginning while you were starting your own organization or trying to pursue your own entrepreneurial interests we kind of started without realizing we were starting anything so myself sebastian and two other friends uh were living together at the time this was 2012 so a little little time ago so yeah we were all living in the same house uh, we call it a digs i don't know if you call it the same in in the US or wherever it might be but uh yeah we we're living together and we were all working we we're doing our event stuff um Dan and and Travis were in their day jobs and we we all shared the common intention of just making a difference somehow uh mm. i think it's a, a beautiful trait of our generation we just have this yearning to to have an impact make a difference in some other way so yeah we just spoke about this and decided to start a list of things that we could do that had fun and made a difference those were yeah. the mantra of, of of what we wanted to do so we started we wrote down this list then decided to just start ticking them off without any intention of starting a business or uh, anything we just we just did whether you know at that age or you just do the actual decision of starting our own business being an entrepreneur wasn't a it, it wasn't a, a conscious one at the time we were just kind of being and living our lives and and starting with our intention and and a, i guess it's mission driven you know we didn't really have time to think or doubt so yeah so eventually we started ticking off uh, these items off uh, our living list we didn't call it a bucket list because we weren't kicking the bucket yet a very living it, it gave birth to an organization that we just started doing projects that had fun and made made a difference one of which was secret sunrise so we we went up to zambia to go assist a tree planting project up there and uh, bring our uh, positive vibe points to the to the project and we decided to test something out on on uh, the crew there up in the up in the zambian uh, tree planting project we decided that in order to get people firing into their day we wanted to do something a little bit different so we set up some speakers we got about 60 people uh, consisting of a bunch of local people and volunteers from all over the world who were at the tree planting project together 
and we took them through a journey of music and mute and movement and dance and yeah something just happened that morning to that zambian sunrise where we just knew that that couldn't be a once-off and uh so we took it back to cape town and uh knowing that playing music in the morning to the sunrise in a city just wouldn't go down so well for people trying to sleep so we introduced the headphones and developed the the offering and the product to what it, what it is today. And uh, yeah, Secret Sunrise kind of grew into its own project and personality. Yeah, we, we did one in Cape Town and people just wanted more. So we did another one and we did another one. And uh, yeah, it started growing and people started asking for us to do it in Johannesburg, which is the other major city in in South Africa, um, and then it spread to the other major centers. And then we had people wanting it in London and Amsterdam. So we decided to start empowering uh, people because our whole mandate is to share positivity and share joy. And if other people are empowered to be able to do that through this tool, then we're winning. That's what uh, we're currently doing is training people on the methodologies and the mission of Secret Sunrise uh, to share their joy and their positivity with their city. Yeah, with the use of this concept. As I said in the beginning, it wasn't really our initial mission. Our initial mission was just to make a difference in some way. Well, that's super cool that I know you guys are on now to 16, uh, sorry, 16 cities, quite a following online, which is pretty cool. So what makes uh, Secret Sunrise unique? What was what are some of the components of a Secret Sunrise event? We're bringing people back to what is important. And I think this was beautifully taught by our cycle. Um, you know, it's the small moments in life and the experiences that we take on as humans that are the important things. It's not how much money we have in the bank or how many possessions we have at the end of the day. It's how rich your soul is with life experiences and, and joyful moments. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's, it's something that's not, we don't offer something tangible. Um, it's, an experience um, and it's been developed so that every single facet of what we offer is having a positive impact on everyone who arrives. So um, through music, which is a language we all speak, through to movement, which is also a, a language we all speak. I mean, you see these beautiful videos of babies who are six months old just learning to walk and they're dancing. You know, that's not... It's somehow just in our DNA. And then uh, the final element is connection. So in this day and age where we're more connected than ever, but also as, you know, as disconnected as ever because we're constantly on social media, which isn't real connection, we know that this is fundamental to people's well-being. It's just you know, having some sort of connection to yourself, to others, and the planet is, is fundamental as a human being to our, our well-being. So everything we do is uh, to uplift people and, and share positivity and joy. And I think if there are other products out there doing that, then we endorse it.
You, I know you mentioned we were discussing a little bit about uh, bottom line business and having a positive social impact. Could you elaborate a little bit more on that? You're seeing it more and more um, nowadays is the, you know, the B Corps and the double bottom lines and the uh, Patagonias and the, you know, the, the businesses that are on a mission, on a greater mission than just profit. Again, <laughs> the, the cycle that we went on what our mission is is so closely linked and that that was the perspective that it gave us it's, it just showed us that life is too short and this world is in too much of a need for just upliftment for us to just turn a blind eye to that naturally you know everyone needs to survive and be financially um, looked after but really if 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 we're not as individuals all contributing to some sort of positive thing in this world, I just, I, I'm not sure why we, you know, what, what we're doing, you know, if, if, if businesses are not, if businesses are the biggest entities, they're, you know, they, they, they're an entity like an individual. And these are the things that can have far bigger, bigger impact than each individual um, by themselves. So, you know, it's really important that businesses are contributing positively to the world in some other way. And we're really starting to see it more and more nowadays. And yeah, we've, we've really turned sharing joy into a business, which is kind of strange, but, you know, and, and it hasn't come without its tests and its trials. And we're still trying to iron out a whole lot of kinks and trying to figure out figure it out day by day but we've done something right and and uh, you know people are asking for it and and acknowledging that it is something that you know they would like to share themselves and and you know no matter what we're going to continue to do that and hopefully inspire other people to start their own businesses with some sort of mission or whatever it might be we're seeing so much strange news and interest you know negative press about so many different things and i think now more than ever the world needs individuals and businesses to align to some sort of positive mission you must be doing something right especially if people are keep craving it around the world so that's 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 pretty phenomenal as we're wrapping things up here do you have any other uh tips or advice for people either based on your trip or your experiences with secret sunrise that you can offer you know a lot of what the journey of our cycle taught me and and then continued through um, into our organization was really, and I've, I've said this, I've done a couple of talks and obviously I chat to a few people who are looking for some sort of direction or advice. And, and what I consistently say is, you know, just look inward and define what success means to you. Because I think in this day and age, you know, we've we've just attached success to financial success or you know prosperous business success, but success is so much deeper and so much more. And and this is what the cycle and Secret Sunrise has taught me is that what fulfills you and what keeps you motivated and what gets you up in the morning is something that's firing you and and getting you you know really kicking off. And to me, that defines what you should be leading with every day mm -hmm. and if you're able to do that and earn a living off it you know despite how much you may be yes you need to be financially sustained and uh you know kind of 
get by day to day. And if, if, it, if, if finances are your motivation, then yay, then you're successful. If, uh, if finances aren't your motivation, look for what that is and, and really define what success means to you. It's not necessarily finances. And yeah, that's, it's a beautiful lesson that the cycle and secret sunrise has taught me. Yeah. I feel like I'm just living my truth and I, know what success means to me and yeah we've got a long way to go on the financial front and the covid scenario has really thrown in a whole curveball and but despite that we're continuing on our mission and and if if it had all had to fall over today i'd say we've we've experienced success i think that's that's very well said and i, I totally can relate to the feeling uh you know i've had my own slumps where where i didn't wasn't fired up waking up in the morning but uh i think once you start looking inward and finding that mission or vision uh and trusting your instinct of what you want to follow and you know once you wake up with that feeling of hey i can't wait to, to for today to happen or i can't wait to conquer what's what challenge is going to bring on today i think you're in a really good zone in life of where you're at the kind of living like you said your truth and your mission and being in that spot yeah exactly and it takes little little changes in your life i know it's it's easier said than done and you know you've got to you know a lot of people feel like they've got to kind of look to where their priorities lie and look after their family and which is 100 correct but it takes little incremental changes in your life to really start getting on a path that's serving you and getting you up in the morning and and making you happy and making you feel motivated and celebrating your day you know celebrating life and if if you're able to make those small changes you'll see a big big difference uh on a on a daily basis um as you say it's nice to have you as an example of someone who, who does that and who's been able to follow like their own passion and vision to go ahead and start a great organization that's been enjoyed by many thousands of people around the world uh so thank you for sharing your story uh usually when we end our show we have a quick travel tribe toss-up we just have three random questions uh that we like to ask and just to kind of see the first thing that comes to mind are you up for it yeah always <laughs> all right all right question number one what moment made your heart sing during your cycling journey we were cycling down this long hill and we had four other guys on single speed very clapped up bicycles typical of what you'd find in a third world country and we we're racing there and all laughing and i just remember their big white smiles and that was just pure bliss on the other side of the spectrum what was the most embarrassing uh, moment of your trip or any kind of cultural misunderstandings uh, while you guys were on your journey wow on the spot eh hmm we had a friend of ours join us in Egypt and uh she's it was it's a, she's a girl and uh so so in Egypt you know there was the kind of uh enforcement that if you staying in a certain place you were only allowed to stay with your wife so we had to pretend that there were a husband and wife for the night or we had to dress her up like a boy <laughs> so we did both of those and uh yeah we managed to get by oh man that's fantastic that's really cool <laughs> last question what was the most delicious or non-delicious thing you ate during your trip most delicious wow jeez 
every meal was uh, <laughs> just, as I said, fuel. So we just smashed whatever came our way. Um, the least delicious, I would say, was somewhere in Tanzania. We stopped at a little kind of side of the road little uh, place and they got a little fire going and there was chicken on the fire and uh, we sunk our teeth into it and it literally felt like um, like a rubber... I don't know, like a rubber tire or, you know, something really not edible. And, uh, yeah, that, that really stood out. Anything that unusual that you guys ate? Unusual, yeah. We uh, had um, some sheep's brain. Mm. That was in Al- Albania, actually, of all places. <laughs> You'd think it would be in Africa. But we had uh, some testicle, mm. <laughs> springbok testicle. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. At that time, we really weren't fussy about what, what, uh, you know, what was fueling us. It was purely just to get us over the next hill. Testicles are fuel, so yeah. Well, I guess we'll <laughs> end on that because that's a good, good, good place to end on. Uh, Grant, thank you so much for coming on the show for telling us your journey, your cycling journey, and your work with Secret Sunrise doing the business of joy. It's been a pleasure. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Captain Boogie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Jordan. Nice to be on your show. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ashley, for introducing us. Well, that does it for this week's episode of Travel Tribe Podcast. Join us each Tuesday as we release new episodes with great adventures. Until then, remember, the most dangerous thing you can do in life is to play it safe. Stay adventurous.